Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. First week, when we jumped into this uh, minor prophet and into this book, we, we said, well, if you don't know where this uh, book is the best way is to go to the front of your Bible, the table of contents. You look for his name, you look at the page number, and bang, you open it up right to that page. But we've been on this now together for a period of three weeks. I know there was a break in, in somewhere in between, but um, um, but we've been three weeks in Nahum, as this is our third chapter. We spent um, one Sunday on each chapter, and today we're, we we we're gonna finish it, and we're gonna uh, come to a close as we've been just surfing and riding through the scripture here and through this uh, book. Amen? Um, If I were to title this message anything um, or title this chapter, this study, um, through this chapter anything, it would be titled The Final Victory. So you should write that down somewhere there on your notes, The Final Victory. And I think that's such a fitting phrase and title to hear today, The Final Victory. Um, In this book we've seen and we've seen the heart of it and um, we've seen pretty much what it was meant for and the theme the over um, the the consistent theme throughout the book of Nahum and I would say it would be uh, specifically this there's a lot of important details and as we've also grabbed the resources of other scriptures to bring to an understanding what we're reading what we're studying but I would say the theme of this is God's judgment and wrath to the enemies of God's people, which is the Assyrian Empire, which is its capital, Nineveh, and to bring hope and the promise to his people, which would be the southern kingdom that is left of Israel, which, was, which is known as Judah, because Israel has been held captive. Um, ten tribes have been taken away. The northern kingdom, which is Israel, is now being populated uh, by foreign nation. That, that worships many gods and, and God, they've just turned their back fully on the Lord and now the hope is left on the southern kingdom which is Judah and there's a promise and there's a hope and there's a word that is given to them and there's a judgment and a wrath that is given to Assyria for centuries of wickedness and evil and yet they would not turn to God's grace. They would continue to turn their back. It's what we would call the unforgivable sin, Right? the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the rejection of salvation of Jesus Christ, right? The sin that cannot be forgiven. How, how can you be forgiven of that which you're not receiving salvation? So, so, so what, what, an, what an important time this is on the land. Why? Because Assyria was uh, the most powerful nation. Assyria, the empire, was, was maybe what we would because we're here in the United States, and, and most of us, right, we're all Americans, we would say, well, America is the greatest nation in the world. And uh, Syria was that. Syria was some, a nation that they thought would never be defeated. How, how will anyone ever bring us down? We're too mighty and we're too strong. But we've learned through history, whether it was in school or by reading the Bible, that powerful nations rise and powerful nations fall quickly. Quickly, it doesn't matter how powerful a nation is. When they turn, we, we, 
whether they turn from the Lord or whether they're instruments of God being used. God has the final say. And we see that through the, through the text and through, through, the, through the pages of the word of God. And we've seen it through the pages of our history books as well. Amen? And we are coming across one of those powerful empires called Assyria. Nahum chapter 3 is where we're at. <clears throat> if you are jumping into chapter 3 today, obviously our encouragement to you is to go back and jump into our podcast, jump into our YouTube videos and 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 go watch and listen to Nahum chapter 1 and Nahum chapter 2 um, but follow along with us here as we are in Nahum 3 as this is the final ride here uh, we've been studying this book and like I just said we've learned uh, how quickly one can lose its power one can lose its power one day we could be standing on the platform of greatest victory of, of greatest power of success and fame and popularity and instantly, we can be dethroned um, from one moment to the next. We can, nations can, people can lose it all from one moment to the next. Because of the quarantining and because of so many places being closed and us being stuck at home, I've been able to watch a lot of documentaries at night, and, and I love documentaries. That's probably one of my favorite things to watch. But um, one of them was one on, on uh, a famous cyclist here in the United States. M many of us probably heard of him, Lance Armstrong. And I was watching his documentary on TV that came out during this time. And it was such a, it was so, it, I, I loved it. It was such an important documentary because you get to see exactly what I just said. You get to see how quickly someone could rise to power, to fame, and instantly, one bad decision, one wrong thing, instantly, they could be dethroned and lose it all. Lance Armstrong is a great example of that. Um, one of the most famous men uh, in sports worldwide and instantly lost it all. So, so we want to get into this because it's a reminder to us. This, here, here we are in this prophecy and the nation of Assyria. It reminds me, uh, just like it just did to the documentary that I saw, it also reminds me of the warnings that Scripture gives us. Scripture is to educate us. Scripture is to transform us. Scripture is, uh, uh, it does so much, right, as we, as we learn. Um, but it also warns, Scripture warns us, when these prophets would stand before kings and these prophets would stand before nations and they would speak a prophetic word, they were also, they were also warning they were the oracle of God was being released. They were warning the nations. God has spoken. In those days, people didn't have the word of God like we have, that we could just flip and study the word of God and get on our knees and pray for hours, days, months, years, whatever. In those days, what was the prophet saying? And what the prophet said was what the word of God was saying. And here we have this prophecy <clears throat> in this book, and it reminds me of Scripture. And, and we see that people as well as whole nations, they, they give themselves. And, and we know of people, maybe we've been there or we see nations and we see our very own nation. We see people and nations give themselves over to foolish things. Foolish things. And eventually, because of foolishness continuing in their lives, in our lives, eventually, nations and people, they lose it all. They lose it all because of foolishness. Sometimes it's instant 
and other times it prolongs, it, it takes time. <clears throat> We've studied this passage from Paul to the church of Ephesus, and I want to just read it again. We studied it, not necessarily going to go so deep into it, but I want to read it and quote it. It's a letter that he writes to the church of Ephesus, and today it serves as a reminder yet again. And um, I'm, I'm guessing just, especially because of the, the days that we're in, it's continuing to come up here on Sundays in our messages. But it's Ephesians chapter 5, if you're taking notes. I want to read real quick uh, verses 15 through 18. And Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, what does he tell them? He says, be careful how you live. He's warning them, he's telling them, he's teaching them, he's, he's leading them. And as he leads them and as he teaches them, he's telling them to be careful. And be careful specifically in the way in which they live. Isn't that a reminder for all of us? Be careful how we live. Don't live like fools. Don't live foolishly. But be like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. In these evil days. Here is Paul not writing in 2020. Writing in his days, and we've gone over this, and he says these are evil days. And as he's calling his days evil days, he says because the days are evil, we need to make sure that we are careful how we live. Because the days are evil, we need to make sure that we're not living like fools. Because the days are evil, watch how you live. Be careful how you live your life. How are you supposed to live it? You live it as those who are wise. You live your life in wisdom. In wisdom. Not foolishness. In wisdom. That is very important scripture. That is a very important passage. And a very important letter to this church from Paul. He tells them in verse 17, as he continues with this thought, he tells them, don't act thoughtlessly. Have you ever acted thoughtlessly? You've, you've, you, your emotions have been on a, on a so high up that you immediately acted on, 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 that, on that emotion that was, that was juiced up and immediately when everything settled and your emotions kind of got back to its normal emotional state and you're like, oh man, I really said something I shouldn't have said. I acted in a way I shouldn't act. I allowed my heart to grow in a way it should have never grown. You, you guys know what I'm talking about? You've ever been there where you've acted thoughtlessly? Uh, many people today are acting thoughtlessly. Many people today are speaking thoughtlessly. Many people today are living thoughtlessly. And Paul says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand, understand what the Lord wants you to do. I believe that this world wants to create something specific out of you. They want it to ignite and they want to draw something specifically out of you. It's what we're learning today as, what is it called, clickbait? Immediately something is posted on social media. You click it and you automatically think it's true. And they got you. And they're making money off that because they got enough viewers to watch false news that, that they, um, they, um, they immediately already get money from the sponsors that are on their pages. It's clickbait. 
It's something that is very popular today. Very popular today. But I believe that what is being given to us and what we're living in, it's a time in which the world wants to create something from us and wants us to respond a certain way and wants us to feel a certain way, act a certain way. But we need to remember who we are. You, us, we are sons and daughters of God. We, what, are careful with how we live, with how we act. It must be in wisdom. We must not act out thoughtlessly. We must understand what it is that the Lord wants us to do. Amen? Not them, not our best friends, not our family, not that person which has the most influence in our lives. What is it that the Lord is calling us to do? Amen? Us to do. Verse 18, you know, he goes into like, don't be drunk from wine and so on and so forth. <clears throat> but in verse 18, he says, if you're going to be drunk in anything, be drunk in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I love that. Paul is giving them access to drink from the Spirit. Permission. If you're going to drink, if you're going to get intoxicated, if you're going to get wasted on anything, don't be intoxicated by the outlets of this world. Be intoxicated by heaven. Be intoxicated by the Holy Spirit. How many people are being intoxicated by the news of this world? And they're not being intoxicated by the Holy Spirit and the news of heaven. Amen? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, very important passage. And it's a reminder for today, the days that we're living in. It's a reminder for thousands of years ago. Assyria was a reminder for them, a reminder for Judah. Assyria must have thought that due to their great power <clears throat> and might, that no one would ever be able to dethrone them. We are Assyria. No one will ever dethrone us. We are the mighty empire. No one can ever knock us to our face. You know, as I, I read through the pages of Nahum, I wonder if we, and I, and I say we, I don't specifically, I'm not pointing at you, but us here in the United States, I wonder if we've come to think of ourselves the same way. We, the United States, no one can ever dethrone us. Not if God says so. Okay? Not if God says so. Because when God says it's done, it's done. When God says then. I mean, I, you know, you read, I'm not coming over here to spook any of you guys, but when you read the book of Revelations and it talks about like two-thirds of the earth being gone, like, it's when God says. It's when the Lord says, like, now, now's the, or one-third, forgive me, or whatever. You know, now's the time. Now's the time where I'm going to cause this um, upon the land. It's, it's not about anything else. You see, God is in control. He puts nations. He puts governments. He puts people in their place. And he is the one who allots them the power. Amen? We have insight of this from the book of Proverbs. I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump into a verse 1 in a moment, but just flow with me here. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 12, I'll read, I'll tell you what, I'll read 12 through 15. It'll come up here now as well. Um, we have some insight of this. It says, what are worthless and wicked people like? They're constant liars. <laughs> I love that. They're signaling their deceit with a wink of the eye. 
a nudge of the foot or the wiggle of fingers. You know that. You know what the wiggle of, wiggle of fingers is. You know the, the pointing. The the constant. You know the dictatorship. The you know the the, the people who are filled worthless and wicked and. The, the wink of an eye, the deception behind that. Look at verse 14. It says, their perverted hearts plot evil, and they constantly stir up trouble. This is wicked people. What are they like? He's answering it. Verse 15, but they will be destroyed suddenly. They will be broken in an instant beyond all hope of healing. I want you to remember this Proverbs. Why? Because when we close up chapter 3, this Proverbs, it's, it's aligned perfectly with the end of Proverbs 3, especially verse 15 of Proverbs 6, where it says, they'll be destroyed, because that's what's going to happen with Assyria. Suddenly, they will be broken in an instant beyond all hope of healing. Remember those words, because I'm going to forget to go back to this. Probably, I'm probably going to forget. But if you remember these words, you're going to see how we're going to kind of repeat it in the book of Nahum chapter 3. Let's go to verse 1 here of Nahum 3. And, and this is the continual prophecy that is given here during this time. And there's a warning, there's this danger that is being released here from the or as an oracle of the Lord. And in verse 1, it says what? Woe! Woe to the bloody city. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 for a moment. Woe to the bloody city. It is as full of lies and robbery. Its victims never departs. The noise of a whip and the noise of rattling wheels of galloping horses, of clattering chariots. Verse 3, horsemen charge with bright sword and glittering spear. There is a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses. I mean, look at the detail of this. All right? This is, this, this is like a movie that we're reading here. Because, verse 4, of the multitude of harlotries of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries who sells nations through her harlotries and families through her sorceries. And um, yeah, families through her sorceries. What, what an amazing description here, right? Horsemen charged with a bright sword and glittering spears. Multitudes are slain. There's a great number of bodies. There's countless of corpses. They stumble over the dead, over the corpses. And because of the harlotries and the seductive harlot, and he calls her the mistress of sorceries who sells nations through her harlotries. So, so these are important four verses as we begin chapter 3. And um, Assyria, we know already, we've learned already, and we continue to repeat, is full of wickedness during this moment. Full of wickedness. And all over through this text and all over through this book, we, we see how Assyria is described in graphic fashion. Especially right here in chapter 3. She is called a harlot. There is no reason for me to define that deep, deeper you. We all know exactly what that is. A harlot, a mistress of sorceries. And she's described in graphic fashion. Nineveh, as well as it's the capital, the power city of uh, Assyria. Nineveh specifically in which this prophecy is aiming at. Nineveh uh, was was a bloody city as he opens up with woe, woe to them. And who is them specifically? Nineveh, who is a bloody city. Why is she a bloody city? Why is Nineveh a bloody city? Because Nineveh is guilty 
of shedding innocent blood. Innocent blood. And because Nineveh is guilty of this, the prophet stands on the platform, comes to the scene, and calls her for what she is, a bloody city. And Nineveh was a so-called ally or friend, as we would call her, to many and to many nations because she was, as he calls her here in these verses, seductive. She seduced nations, Nineveh. She seduced nations to her house, Nineveh. She was really a harlot. A seductive harlot is what Nineveh was. And heavy payment is what she demanded uh, for those that were use her services. Who was someone that fell under her harlotry, under her sorcery? None other than the southern kingdom, Judah. And God couldn't deal with it no more. Because Judah was giving them, was giving them from their own work, their goods, to Nineveh as a payment to keep them on their friend's side. All that Nineveh was doing, she was not a friend of Judah. She was never going to be a friend of Judah. She was an enemy of Judah. All she really was, was a harlot, a sorcerer, who was demanding for Judah and for many other nations to pay and to give what they should have never given her. I think about these verses and I say, how different can nations or we ourselves be from Nineveh? How different can we experience this from being Judah? Wherever we stand in this prophecy. These harlotries in verse 4 is, if you study it, it's, it would refer to the word paganism. And paganism is any worship of gods other than our God, the God of Scripture. That's paganism. And that's an act, as we've learned through text, of spiritual prostitution. And that's what Nahum was calling out. If you worship any other God but our God, you're committing spiritual prostitution. And he calls her a harlot. Think about that for a moment. Think about the world that we're living in. Maybe they're not built images of gods, but how many false gods are being worshipped? And what this world, what nations and what people are committing is nothing but let's be clear and let's not be, let's not use these political correct statements. It is what it is. They are committing spiritual prostitution. They're messing with the heart of the living God. Amen? And Nineveh was a master of this. He gave them the title of the mistress of sorcerers, of sorceries. Amen? Let's keep reading. Verse 5, 6, and 7 says, Behold, he, how many of us have heard this statement week one? We hear it again in week two. And here we are now in chapter three, week three, and it continues to be said. It's a consistent and a continual state uh, phrase. What is it? Behold, I am against you. Not Nahum. Nahum is saying it. Behold, I am against you. But remember, he's not speaking for himself. He is speaking as the mouthpiece of God. So he says, behold, I stand against you, says the Lord of hosts. <laughs> Imagine that for a moment. 
I will lift, I, I love the description, I love the details of this, and there's a reason why. This goes all the way, I'll tell you what, I'm going to read Ezekiel. Uh, this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Look what he says, I, um, deeper into the Old Testament. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will, I will show your nakedness. I will show the world for who you really are. I will show all those that, that gaze at you with amazement that under your skirts, there is nothing but pollution and rottenness. I will lift up the skirt and show the world who you really are. I'm wondering if God is lifting up the skirt in these days and really showing the world who they really are. He's just lifting up skirts today, you know. He's like, USA, here we are. Who are you for real? And, 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 and it's amazing because it's, it's, this, is, this is thousands of years ago, but it makes so much sense today. And the prophet says, I lift up your skirts over your face. I will show the nation your nakedness. The kingdoms, I will show them your shame. You're talking about Assyria. Guys, don't get so, so lost here that you forget who we're talking about. The most powerful nation and empire of this day. And yet, one man, one man is standing in front of live television. And he's saying, I have a word from the Lord. From, I have a word from the Lord. Imagine Assyria when they hear this from him. They probably laughed at him. Who are you but one man that says that your God, your God, because that's not our God, will lift up our skirts and, and bring us to shame before nations. L look what he says, verse 6. I will cast abominable filth upon you. <laughs> I will make you vile. You know what vile means here? Maybe your translation says it. I'm reading from the New King James. It means I will make you despicable. I like that word better. I'll make you despicable. And I will make you, I love this, I will make you a spectacle. I mean, what a, what a powerful, what a powerful word. Let's go to verse 7. I shall come to pass that... All, it shall come to pass that all who look upon you, look at, look at this, ready? Everyone was attracted to Nineveh. Everyone was in awe of the powerful Assyrian empire. But look what he says in verse 7. It shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? What a, what a powerful passage. What a, what a powerful statement these are. What we're reading in chapter 3 are the reasons for the siege and the destruction of Nineveh. And in these verses, now they're receiving judgment. It was time, their public exposure and disgrace, it was time to show them uh, to the world. And what is it that he says, I am against you. <laughs> this phrase, I am against you, continues to repeat itself. I am against you, I am against you. What, you know what they should have done the first time the Lord said, I am against you? They should have bowed down at his feet and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We shall never go against the Almighty Lord. We shall never go against Yahweh. But instead, they continue to go against Him, and the Lord's word remained. I am against you. And this phrase, as it continues to repeat, have you noticed that as it continues to repeat, it becomes more chilling the next time it is being said. Now, it's becoming so much more intense when he says it. He's getting so much more detailed when he says, I'm against you now. In, um, in Ezekiel, uh, chapter, uh, uh, I think it's uh, 26, or did I give you the wrong one, or 16? I, I gave it to them. 
I hope I give you the right one. Um, it's, it talks about this in verses 35 through 39. I think I might have given you 26 and it was 16 or vice versa. All right, 16. Uh, I'm going to read this to you. Look what it says here. This is judgment on, on the prostitution that was found in Jerusalem. But look at the wordage and look how it makes sense here uh, of what he was telling to Assyria. I'm just going to read it quick. No need to really ponder on it, but just catch it. Verse 35 says, Therefore you prostitute. Yeah, 16. Therefore, you prostitute, listen to this message from the Lord. Listen to this. This is what the sovereign Lord says, because you've poured out your lust and you've exposed yourself in prostitution to all your lovers. He's talking to a nation here. And because you have worshipped detestable idols and because you've slaughtered your children as sacrifices to your gods, this is what I'm going to do. I will gather together all your allies, the lovers with whom you have sinned, both those who you loved and those you hated. And I will strip you naked in front of them so that they can stare at you. I will punish you for your murder and adultery and I will cover you with blood in my jealous fury. Then I will give you to these many nations who are your lovers and they will destroy you. They will knock down your pagan shrines and the altars to your idols. They will strip you and take your beautiful jewels, leaving you stark naked. This is so important to see this part of God, to see this kind of judgment uh, from the Lord as we read uh, through verses 5, 6, and 7. Because the Lord is going to do something specifically to his enemies. And as I believe that the Lord is going to do that specifically to sin and to the enemies that we live before this earth today. Amen. There's going to be a day when, when the Lord will show the nations and the great, what is it, the son of perdition, he will lift up even their skirts and show them their nakedness. You know, there's a scripture that we quote a lot here that says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord forever. Why is every knee bowing and every tongue confessing? Because the skirt of the world has been lifted and only one can stand in purity. Only one stands in truth. And Jesus Christ at that moment will reign and every tongue will finally come to confess him and every knee will finally come to bow down before him because the shame and the disgrace of all other gods and the power of all other nations will have to bow before the holiness, the righteousness, and the glory of who is God. Amen? How many of you love the scripture and that we stand on the right side? Amen. Let's keep reading here. Verses 8, 9, and 10. Are you better than no Amam that was situated by the river that had the waters around her? He's reminding Nineveh of another city, and we'll get into this, whose rampart was the sea, whose wall was the sea. So no one would be able to penetrate this city because it was surrounded by the waterways as we learned that water was so important to nations. Ethiopia, verse 9, and Egypt were her strength and it was boundless. Put and Lubim were your helpers, verse 10, yet she was carried away. I I'm telling you that the Lord says, as powerful as man or as people, as nations can think they are, it's when I say, look, it says, yet she was carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also dashed to pieces at the head of her street. They cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. So powerful. He here we have uh, two... Cities as well that is described who allied with 
no Amman, which was put, and Lubim, which would be called Libya. And, 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 and here he's mentioning as a reminder of this great fall of this city. The city of no Amman had many powerful allies. But they were not sufficient to protect her in her hour of need. Because it's a continual reminder in this text, in this book of Nahum, which is who is going to fight against the Lord's attack. Alright? And it's a, it's a reminder that the, the, the worst thing that we could do is fight against God. And the worst thing that anyone can do is fight. But what do we do? We humble ourselves before the Lord. It says the Lord is able. The Lord is able to take a hold of just one person, of one nation, and make them a fear and a force in the land. Not because of any strength that we may have or that a nation may have, but because the Lord is strength and He is the one who gives strength. If you remember the book of Deuteronomy chapter 11, uh, verse 25, I will read exactly what he tells the Israelites. He says, no one will be able to stand against you. He's talking to his covenant people. And what does he say? No one will stand against you. How can no one stand against them? Here it is. For the Lord your God. It's because of me, he tells them will cause the people to fear and dread you. What is he really telling the Israelites? It's not because of you. It's because of the God that dwells with you. And it's a reminder to me, it's not because of me or any of us. It's because of the God that lives and dwells in us. He says, he says the fear and uh, I will cause the people to fear and dread you as he promised wherever you go in the whole world. It's because of him. Let's keep going. Verse 11 says, to Nineveh, you will also, you also will be drunk. And he says, you will be hidden. You will be drunk and you will be hidden. You will also seek refuge from the enemy. Notice those three things. Drunk and hidden and seek refuge. What is happening to Nineveh? Nineveh would be like a helpless drunk. What is, what's wrong with this powerful city, this nation? It's that now hoping for revenge and uh, or better yet, said, said, uh, yeah, I hope for revenge, but I can't, I can't fight that force which is against me, so I have to run towards refuge. And as I run towards refuge, I find nowhere and I find no one that I could turn to. And that's where Nineveh is at. Verse 12 says, all your strongholds are fig trees with ripened figs. If they are shaken, they fall. Listen to this. They fall into the mouth of the eater. Nineveh is like a fig tree. Look what he says. And the figs are ripened. And if it's shaken, the food doesn't fall to them, but it falls to the eater. Nineveh is ripe for judgment, is what the Lord is saying. And her enemies are eager to partake of the fruit. The conquering and this conquest is as easy as just shaking this tree, this fig tree, and eating the figs that fall from the tree. That's how easy it is. That's how easy it is. And this is a warning, and what a warning this is. I want to get into the heart of some things now as I really bring a lot of this, which has already been applied but more applicable to us, that we need to give the Lord all the honor. And we need to give him all that belongs to him. Not turn to evil, not turn to our own might or to our own strength, but that we be, and that we become strong in ourselves or that we get so prideful that we would become our own downfall. 
but that we would not sow sparingly to the Lord, but that we would give with cheer and that our lives before others and most importantly before the Lord would be given out of joy, that our lives would be an offering unto others and to the Lord as one of joy and cheerful. Amen? In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8, Paul says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. But look, what it, look, look how he's calling us to give. You give of yourself, not grudgingly or of necessity, but God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, what an awesome scripture for the days that we're living in, that God would be able to make all grace abound in me, that me, I would always have all sufficiency in all things and may have an abundance for every good work. If only Nineveh would have learned, if only others would learn from history and from the past. What is that famous saying? If you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. If all our lives would be given to the Lord as a cheerful offering, if, if this current world would only know that life is too short. I want to really make this stuff applicable to you today, and I hope you can listen here for a moment. Life is too short. So here's some questions. I could only list a couple. You have your own questions or you have your own feelings deep inside that only you could answer. And you should write it down maybe so you could pray about them. But seriously, what are you mad at? What is growing dark in you? What do you need to make right? What or who do you need to forgive? Have you felt that your life has been a waste of time? What do you have to do? Remember how we opened up with Paul? What do you have to do? That he, that the Lord has been calling you to do. Seriously, only you could answer those questions. Life's too short for you to continue to live defeated by your own feelings and by your own thoughts, by your own weakness, amen? You need to answer some of these things and recognize life is short. I need to give my life as a cheerful offering. So I need to answer some questions that are deep within me so that I can finally live in this passage here, having all sufficiency in the Lord, that I will have abundance for every good work. If you are continuing in some of these things, how are you really abounding in every good work? You're not abounding in every good work because the moment that something confronts what you're feeling or how you, whatever, you automatically go to that dark place. You really, we really have to deal with these things. Life is short. Eternity is long. Eternity is forever. Amen? The Assyrians' days were coming to an end. It did not matter how healthy. It did not matter how mighty, how strong the nation was. Their time was up 
we should be aware that life on this earth is short. Scripture teaches us that it's actually numbered, which is actually more freaky. It's not just short, it's numbered. Our days are numbered by the Lord. So what am I trying to say? Maybe it's time to make wrongs right. Maybe it's time to turn your hatred into love. God, does this world really need to hear that? People get so caught up in whatever the world wants them to get caught up in that they sound like clashing symbols. And all they do is just push people away. It's time to make and cause our hatred to be love again. It's time to take our hurt and turn it into healing. It's time to take our pain and turn that pain into joy. Amen? Assyria, Nineveh had their chance. I want to read some passages that, are, that fall perfectly in place with this side of history, this fall of Nineveh and the Assyrian, Assyrian Empire, and I hope it ministers to us, to us. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1, the proverbian wisdom here says, do not boast, do not brag about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring forth. Don't brag and don't boast about tomorrow. Amen? So what do we really do? Well, let's read some scripture here. If I'm not called to brag and boast about tomorrow, if I don't know what tomorrow is going to hold, what do I do? Well, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15 through 21, it gives us something beautiful to consider. He says, it says this in verse 15, Then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he, Jesus, tells them a story, his followers. And Jesus gives us this amazing story that we could apply to our lives, a story, this parable. And he says, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. We preached this here before. I think it was a series that I did on. I forgot what it was titled, but I preached it before. He says, then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and all my other goods. I'll just make a bigger, bigger barn. Verse 19, I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. <laughs> I love that. Remember how we started? Live your life in wisdom, not like the foolish do. So God says, that sounded smart, your investment on earth. But you're a fool, Jesus says. You fool. You will die this very night. I mean, it's not funny, but it is, right? Then who will get everything that you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have rich relationship with God. Assyria, you thought you were, but you fool. 
you miss the most important thing. I alone am God. And you miss your true treasure on earth. Your true treasure on earth is knowing me. Think about that. If I could sit down today with the, any form of government, any president, I won't have many things to say to them because I would not want to say anything out of anger because that's what my intentions would want to do. I just wish I could confront the president or I wish I could confront some sort of government official, let's say, and I wish I could just share my anger. But that's not going to cause anything. How about if we could sit with one of them and say, we're being fools if we think storing up anything here on this earth and skipping out on God is what really will make this nation or our people or us, our very own selves, a treasure on earth. The only way that we could be a treasure on earth is by knowing the treasure of heaven. If not, we missed it and God says, you're a fool. It's an awesome reminder. Sorry that I'm not screaming and yelling and exciting you, but it's an awesome reminder. It's an awesome reminder not to live like fools, but to live wise and to recognize what really matters, to guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured. Sometimes I'm not even greedy for money. I'm greedy about what I want for myself or if it doesn't go the way I... And that's greed. That's still greed. It just has a different form to it. The greed that man holds on to. You fool, you store it all up for earthly goods, but you've missed God in the middle of it all. In James chapter 4, another reference passage in the New Testament to look at that goes perfect with this story is James chapter 4, verse 13, all the way to 17. He says, come now. We know this. This is a very popular, very often quoted verse those who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city we will spend a year there we will buy and sell and we will make a profit whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life it is even like a vapor a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away instead you ought to say if the lord wills we shall live and do this or that verse 16 but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Remember Proverbs 27.1? That's what it was talking about. Do not boast or brag about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring forth. That's exactly what James is speaking about. It's exactly what Proverbs was saying. You're boasting in arrogance. You're boasting in arrogance. All that kind of boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good... And does not do it to him, it is sin. One translation says it this way. So if you know of an opportunity to do the right thing today, yet you refrain from doing it, you are guilty of sin. You fool. You fool. Nahum. Uh, we look at this passage, and as we get close to an end now, and uh, we could probably get the team just to start coming up here and situ situating. Maybe play some music here in the background. But as we get ready to close, I want to really just really close this off correctly. I'm going to read verse 13 through 16 here for a moment. 
It says, surely your people in your midst are women. And, and, and women, maybe you're listening to this, you're like, what? He's, he's trying us. I'll give you an understanding of what this passage means. Your, he says, surely your people, remember he's talking to them still. He just talked to them about a fig tree. He says, your people in your midst are women. The gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Fire shall devour the, ba- ba- the bars of your gates. 14. Draw your water for the siege. Fortify your strongholds. Go into the clay and thread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. Verse 15. There the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you off. I will eat you up like a locust. Make yourself many like the locust. Make yourself many like the swarming locust. Verse 16. You have multiplied your merchants more than the stars of heaven. The locust plunders and flies away. Nahum here, as we close off, is taunting. He's taunting the enemy here. And he tells them to prepare for their siege. Your people in your midst are women. They're nothing. You look at this and you're like, well, what is he really saying about women? Well, this has nothing to really speak bad against women. It's you need to understand the context of what we're reading here. It's just that when you read this and you know the day that we're living in, the days that we're reading about, women in these days were not trained for war. We're not trained for battle hand-to-hand combat. So when Nahum says in verse uh, 13 on, and he tells him, your people in your midst are women, he's basically saying it's like those who are not fit to fight because they haven't been trained and they will never be able to win and fight and beat, conquer when it comes to hand to hand combat and that's why he mocks them the way he does and he is telling them come on show up this is finally the last few verses this is the end of Nineveh which they will never become powerful again Assyria you'll never hear of this empire ever again after this book in the sense of its history he says this in verse 17 and 18 he says your commanders, those that are in power of your city and of your nation, look what he says about them. Because really, what do you do when all else breaks? You go to your leaders. And if your leader is also broken, then the whole body is broken. If the leader is broken, the whole body is broken. So what is he going to do? He's going to point to the leadership. And he says, I'm going to show you how deep this brokenness really goes. He says, your commanders are like swarming locusts. Your generals are like grasshoppers, like great grasshoppers, which camp in the hedges on a cold day. When the sun rises, they flee away, and the place where they are is not known. Verse 18, your shepherds, your leaders, they slumber. O king of Assyria, your nobles rest in the dust. Your people are scattered on the mountains. No one gathers them. What is he saying? It's a reminder of weak leadership. Lack of leadership is actually a definition of weak leadership. And right there, he says, they're not present. They're flying and they're to be 
at a place which is not known. Your leadership has been destroyed, has been rooted out. So the whole nation will now fall. Verse 17 and 18, these shepherds are leaders. They're the ones upon whom the king would depend upon. But instead of rallying the shepherds of the king, instead of getting around him and rallying around him, let's defend this, let's fight for this, let's defend Nineveh. Instead, they just slumber. They just go to their caves and nothing is heard from them. And they slumber in death. And without leadership, people scatter. And that's always been a truth in history. It's a truth in churches, in nations, in families. When the leadership is not healthy and right there, people just scatter. And we end in verse 19. And he says, your injury, remember what I said I was going to forget to quote? This is where it comes to. Your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. All who, <clears throat> all who hear news of you will clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually? Your injury has no healing. Your wounds are severe. All who hear about your new, the news of what's happened to you, they clap their hands. They're in, woo! Finally, it's exactly what I read earlier when I said in Proverbs 6, verse 15, they will be destroyed suddenly, broken an instant beyond all hope of healing. Injury has no healing. Wounds are severe. All who hear about it clap their hands. Judah had to have felt the southern kingdom when they hear about this and see it with their own eyes. They had to have felt what we feel when Christ comes to us. And what is that feeling? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 through 58. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren... Be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Judah, rise up. And all I can say is Christians, true sons and daughters of America, rise up. Become immovable. Steadfast, always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in these days is not in vain. And that's the word that was spoken to Judah. I, I could just sense that they felt that New Testament scripture when Nineveh was falling and crumbling to its pieces. God's people in the book of Nahum had the final victory and it points to us today that we have and we will always have the final victory so right that's the question so so what now we we do this we do exactly what he says in verse 58 we always abound in the work of the lord 
Do I just stop? No, you don't stop. No, you just don't quit because things got tough. We abound in the work of the Lord. You know what the word abound means in the Greek? We have an excess. We, we greatly surpass. We excel. We excel in the things of the Lord. We excel. This word shows that the generosity of God's grace, that it's giving assurance that, that to faithful use, that, that the one who is, in, is, is faithful to continue to use their talents and their gifts, they set the stage for one's own advancement. Oh, how come I'm not advancing? Because you're no longer using your gifts and your talents. But we abound, we abound in the work of the Lord. Why? Why do I find strength within to continue to abound in the Lord? Because at the end of it, we have the victory in Christ Jesus. We have the victory through Christ Jesus. And because I have full victory in Him today and forevermore in eternity, there's one thing that I must continue to do, and that is to remain, to always abound, excel in the work of the Lord. All I could say is we have the final victory. And that's what Nahum chapter 3 reminds us. We have the final victory. I, I tell everyone that's watching, everyone that's here today. So what do you, what is your view on all this? Uh, my view is a lot of things, but I know one thing for sure. We have the final victory. And because we know we have the final victory, we must abound in the work of the Lord. Excel in the work of the Lord. Continue to be faithful in wisdom to that which God is calling us to. How many of you could say amen? Can you stand with me? If you're home, if you're watching this, can you, can you go ahead right there and just join me in prayer as we close off and we really give our hearts to the Lord here. Lord, I, Lord, we come before you. And we come before you with this word. We thank you for the reminders of our past, the reminders of history. Lord, we don't want to be so foolish that we repeat history. But that, Lord, you would cause a remnant to rise up during these times which seem on earth or in our own state to have no answer but Lord we know that we have an answer we have a victory and it's in Jesus Christ it's our Lord that we would not lose focus that we would look at death and that we would look at our enemy and say where is its sting where is its victory that we would prosper in all things, God. That we would prosper in God. And that we would excel in the things that you call us to do. I pray that you would ignite in us what needs to be ignited. That you would lift up what needs to be lifted up. Things will... I, I, Lord, I, I want to pray in faith today that you would lift up the skirt. And that you would show their disgrace and the shame of our enemies to the world. 
and that the remnant God's people would rise up and take what is truthfully theirs and that we would see heaven here on earth because your sons and daughters are calling it forth are calling it forth are calling it forward here on this earth let us live in final victory thank you for this prophecy book of Nahum I pray that it was beneficial and strengthening to our spiritual lives as we went through it verse by verse and I pray that our lives would be transformed and if there are those that stand in the sight of Nineveh Lord that you would cause an awakening if those that are in the sight of Judah that you would strengthen them that you would take scales from their eyes and that they would rise up to be the people that they're called to be wherever it is that they're standing because there's one thing that's for short and there is the judgment and the wrath of God upon the enemies and there's promise and hope for the sons and daughters and we just pray that we would understand that and see that Lord we take a moment we pray for our nation we pray for the chaos we pray for the truth and the lies we pray for all the things that are happening here things that we're not even certain of we pray that you have control of it all and that you would bring it to its place if you're lifting up skirts Lord to show the world what's really there just do your job and keep us safe keep us healthy keep us on the right and let us be a light let us be a pillar in this land let us be strong when there is weakness all around us let us be healthy when there is sickness all around us Lord, let us be lights, Lord, when darkness surrounds us. Lord, I pray for this time that we are in. I pray for our president. I don't pray hatred over him, whether I agree or disagree. He's still our president. And I pray, Lord God, that he would have dreams. I pray that he would have visions. Lord, if you were able to do it to some wicked kings in the Old Testament, if I read stories like I did with Nebuchadnezzar, I see things like Jehoshaphat, and I see things that you've done in the Old Testament. You could do it with kings and presidents today. And I pray for our president, Donald Trump, Lord God, that you would touch his heart, touch his soul, touch his mind, touch his cabinet, touch that White House, every room that's in that house. Bring revival into our land, Lord God. Bring an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to every governor, every mayor, every Democrat, every Republican, every other party, Lord God. That, Lord, that we would come to know you and come to bow down to you and know that if we build up our lives on anything that is outside the treasure of heaven, we are fools and we lost out on true treasure on earth Lord bring truth to this land and let us know that we can't miss on God on the treasure if we want treasure on earth it has to come from heaven Lord we thank you for this time we love you Lord and we praise you and we give this to you be glorified be with all the people that are feeling hurt be for all those that are being affected by the stuff that's happening in this world. Lord, I pray for police officers who are, that are good, that are scared to go to work. They fear for their lives. I pray for them. Lord, pour out your spirit over this land. We love you, Lord. We thank you for such a beautiful time like we've had here today. It's in Jesus' name. Together we say, 
Amen. Amen. Praise God. Give God some praise. He, he deserves it. I, I hope all of you join us Monday, tomorrow at 8 p.m. for our Bible study. Uh, make sure you type that in in your meeting ID, 305-824-9008. And uh, we'll see you there. All the men, we'll see you guys on Wednesday. Next Sunday, we'll be back. Invite someone. You know, it's good to see us wearing masks and stuff like that and, and, and being honorable to each other. And we want to welcome anyone that wants to come to church, that the church is open. You you could feel comfortable to walk in and, and wear your mask and, and sit 6 to 12 to however feet away from people and feel safe. But if you feel like you need to come together and worship and hear the word together, you're more than welcome. Um, there's a safe way of doing that. Amen. Love you guys. Remember, you are loved. Have an awesome week. For those that I'll see tomorrow on Zoom, see you guys tomorrow. God bless you all.